Hi, this is Tom, and you are listening to Getting to Third Space with Lamar and Tom. Getting to Third Space is produced by Tenacious Change, a consultancy committed to creating resilient nonprofit organizations. This podcast is available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. Wherever you listen to Getting to Third Space with Lamar and Tom, be sure to subscribe to hear about new episodes when they become available. Also, be sure to share this podcast with friends, colleagues, and family. The more people join us, the quicker we get to third space as a society. All right. Hey, good afternoon. How are you doing, Lamar? Hey, I'm doing well. And you, Tom, how are you doing today? Well, you know, I just couldn't do any better. Okay, no, that's a lie. That's a, that's a lie. It's It's been a crazy day. We've had a refrigerator repair person here and, you know, it's his third trip, you know. Uh, so, so far, so far we've progressed through, you know, a couple of bills and uh, we're we're hoping things get straightened out by Thanksgiving. Um, he, he has to come back one more time. Uh, and Thanksgiving is coming, by the way, very quickly. It, it is coming. Yes. Yeah. So, but we'll have a refrigerator operating by that time. I'm pretty sure. So what about you? What's happened in your world? You know, we're recording this on a Friday and, you know, Fridays have always been my uh, best day along with probably a lot of other people, but um, today's a great day. I, on Friday morning, I have a chance to get together with some of my friends, um, you know, who are retired as well. We sit around and have coffee and uh, we uh, take care of the world's problems. Um, but uh, this afternoon we have the recording and then uh, uh, I'm off to the studio to do a little photography work. So uh, it's a good day. I always enjoy those kind of days. All right. So um, what yeah. are we doing today, man? So we've been working on uh, a lot of topics, right? And so we've been focusing on civil conversations. Um, the last podcast, we talked about what some of the important factors are in having a good civil conversation. Factors like respect of each other, uh, being honest and transparent, uh, listening to each other, uh, you know, those those kinds of factors, really important factors. And I encourage people to go back to that podcast and pick those up. Um, today, uh, we have an opportunity to uh, continue on uh, discussion about civil discourse, but with a guest. And we're honored to have uh, a state representative, uh, Stephen Owens, with us today. And Stephen is my representative in my in my uh, District 74. So welcome, Stephen. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for uh, inviting me on to have a great conversation. Uh, we're looking forward to it for sure. Uh, so thanks. And um, we we had, we definitely shared some of the ideas with you before, so you have an idea where we're going with this. And we're looking forward to talking a little bit more about civil discourse and civil service. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to it. Well, we are really glad that you're here, Stephen, and and not so much for you, but maybe for other folks out there. They you know they they may get very excited by the fact that aha, they have a politician. This is going to get very dramatic and very exciting. And I. And I just want to say to folks, it is going to be very exciting, but for a different kind of reason. We are really most interested in having a conversation with you about how you handle conversations with people who disagree with you or with whom you disagree. And so we do recognize that a lot of politicians may be likely, may be likely to get into conversations that could become contentious because of the political divisions that are present in our, in our country right now. Uh, to be clear, though, uh, we don't want to have a political discussion with you on issues today. Of course, if you want to come back at some point and we have political conversation, that would be fine, too. But today we're going to focus on some basic questions about the intersection of politics and civil conversation. Uh, and, of course, uh, some of your responses to the questions that we shared with you in advance, um, you know, may prompt a couple of follow up questions. Uh, but uh, I don't I don't think you have to worry too much about those. Well, I think this is great because this is something that I really made a center point uh, ever since I chose to run in 2018 is hearing everybody being engaged with everybody. And while you can't make every single person happy, recognizing that I'm still the representative for everybody. So I look forward to the questions. Oh, absolutely. 
And, and, you know, Tom and I have been talking about this now for this is podcast, I think, what, number five, Tom, for us. We've been talking about this for quite a while and um, and we've been getting some good responses. And I mentioned this coffee group that I have on Friday morning. So I kind of give I use them sometimes as a, a, a sounding board. And I'll throw a question or two out for them. And uh, I, I said, hey, uh, I'm going to. Steve Owens and I and Tom are going to have a conversation today, and it's going to be on, um, you know, why, why do people get into politics, for example? What What's that like with having those kind of conversations? And I heard a resounding uh, uh, response of, well, it's power and money. You know, that's that's why people get into politics. And Tom and I had this discussion where I wasn't so sure that was the reason people get into politics. I think there's genuinely reasons that people get in to be helpful, to make a difference, to represent people. And, and Tom and I had this discussion where we took sides intentionally uh, and, you know, about power and money as well to show that we can have a good conversation when we don't agree. But let me ask you, why do you think people do enter politics? And especially a time now where there's so much division going on. Well, you know, why people do what they do will be a mystery for many, but I can speak to why I did what I did. Um, and I can assure you, I didn't do it for the $8,900 a year that I make in salary in Topeka. Uh, I didn't do it for the four months a year that I spend away from my family Monday through Friday, uh, living up there. Um, when I chose to run in 2018, uh, I sat down our previous representative and I actually went to him and I invited him out to breakfast. And we had breakfast at the, the Casey's and I said, Don, you're, you're a wonderful human. You've been a great public servant for 12 years, um, but I don't agree with a number of your votes. And I don't feel like you're engaged in our community the way that maybe you once were. And so I think, uh, I think it's time that uh, I'm gonna step forward and, and I'm gonna run against you. At the time, he hadn't had opposition in 10 years, which I'm a firm believer that opposition in an election makes a better election. Um, and so when I chose to do it, I chose to do it because, look, I'm a believer that if you don't like the way things are going or the way that somebody's doing it and you have the ability to change it, then you have an obligation to change it, not just sit back, cuss about it on social media, uh, gripe about it, you know, uh, over copy with your friends. But if you're in a position or a place to do something, then by gosh, put out some effort and do it. Doesn't mean you're going to win. Doesn't mean that it's going to be easy but that's what makes the system better. So uh, certainly not for the pay. Um, talk about power. I would be curious what your group defined power as, because interestingly enough, uh, I'll be the first one to tell you that if, if we don't agree on the majority of issues, then I would encourage you not to vote for me. Because when I go to Topeka, I, I am there with a core set of principles always willing to be open and to listen, but my core principles simply won't change. And if that means that one day I'm not reelected or elected to the seat that I'm running for, then so be it. I'm perfectly fine with that. And so maybe I take a bit of a different approach when it comes to that, because I don't see politics being a career. I don't see it being something I do for the rest of my natural life, like uh, some people we've seen of recent, especially in DC. I see it as an opportunity to serve my community as long as I'm representing the majority of that community. Well, thank you. That's a that's a great response. A couple of things to follow up on. One, I'll be honest with you on how people define power. I think it's probably very different, but I think a lot of it is uh, kind of an armchair observation of somebody speaks very strongly and, and rallies people together and is able to make choices that maybe they don't agree with and see that as a powerful move. Uh, Possibly, I'm just. But the other, the other thing you said that was interesting to me is you don't see politics necessarily as a lifelong career. Um, do do those kinds of beliefs do you think change over time? Is it different when you're in state legislature versus uh, national? What are your thoughts there? That's a that's really a great question because I can understand what I consider the addiction to politics right? Uh, you go to Topeka or you go to DC, um, all of a sudden uh, people are wanting to take you out to dinner. They want to be your friends, right? They, they, they want to share their issues. They want to engage with you because they know at the end of the day you have a vote. 
and you have a vote that could influence an issue that's important to them. Uh, I will never forget during my first session in 2019 when I sat next to an individual on the House floor um, and he talked about making a decision based on the postcard he was going to get for his reelection campaign. And I looked and I said, why in the world would you ever make a decision based on reelection versus what's right for the community and the state? Uh, to me, send whatever postcards you want to send. I'm going to make the decision that I believe is the best decision. And again, if that doesn't lead to me being reelected, so be it. But I can see how it certainly does and has influenced people when they get into those positions to look at something, uh, to look at it as something that they never want to give up because there is a title and that title means things to some people. Uh, I'm the first one to tell people to call me Stephen, not representative, because the title, I didn't have it six years ago, and I won't have it one of these days. I'd rather just be me. But to some people, that the, the pinnacle of their existence is their time in Topeka or their time in D.C., right? It's the, the highest thing they'll ever attain in their life. And for me, uh, I don't see it that way. I don't see my time being in service as the pinnacle of who I am. I have many more great things to accomplish and many more things that are far more important to me than keeping that title and, and staying in Topeka. Well, so Stephen, I, I, I got to tell you, I heard you say something that just absolutely grabbed my attention. You said you had breakfast at Casey's. Are, are we talking Casey's general store here? Yeah, Casey's by the interstate. They've got a few booths in there, and they make a mean uh, sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. Oh, man, they make great pizza, too. They do make great pizza. I totally agree with you. Obviously, I must be feeling hungry. That's why that, that grabbed me. But let, let me let me pose this question to you. So um, when we think about the, the, the term a civil conversation, it can mean different things to different people. Um, what does it mean to you? Uh, what makes one conversation civil and another not? The ability to disagree agreeably. Simply put, the ability to have a difference of opinion, but to agree that it's okay to have a difference of opinion and to shake hands and to walk away without harm or ill will or malice or anger or frustration that you carry for how long. But it's the ability to say, hey, you believe in this issue, I believe in this issue. Talk about it. Try to understand the other person's point of view, or at least at least respect where they're coming from, but then say, you know what? We simply see this issue differently. We have different perspectives. And and so it's the ability to just be okay with that. It it sounds like implied in that, um, that a civil conversation does not get personal. Fair. Absolutely right. It does not. Nor should I think it be taken personally, because I don't think people necessarily mean for it to be. Some do when they're just being downright ugly. But when they're, you're absolutely right. When it's a civil conversation, it doesn't have to be personal. Look, I believe, and this is me personally, this is something I've shared since the first day I decided to run for office. You, I, Lamar, we are each the summation of our life experiences right? Who we were born to, how we were raised, where we were raised, the experiences that happened, what our parents thought, what our friends thought, all of our life experiences have led me to become a conservative Republican, okay? Your life experiences, Tom, and I'm not trying to label you, but might have led you to become the most liberal Democrat. Who am I to judge you for your life experiences leading you to believe and to become who you are. And so for me, I don't, I look at everybody from that perspective, whether we're in a room and there's one or two of us, or there's a thousand of us who recognize we all come from a different place. We all had a different set of experiences in life that have led us to this moment. And so I approach every conversation and everything that I do, I try to keep that in perspective and just respect that that is ultimately what's defined us. Yeah. Yeah, that <clears throat> that makes a lot of sense. It's 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 an appreciation for you really can't know 
uh, what it is to be in that other person's life, their other in, in their, you know, what, what is the phrase walk a mile in that person's shoes? You don't know what that is. No, you don't know. I attended a, uh, back during the pandemic, one of the black lives matter rallies. Um, and I kind of stood towards the back, but I just truly wanted to understand the perspective that was being shared. I can't understand it. I haven't walked that mile in someone's shoes that are truly terrified of law enforcement, right? But it's their experiences have led them to believe what they believe. And so we can respect their perspective and not necessarily agree with it, but we can understand that their perception is their reality. And I think if we just look at things from that perspective, that, that our life experiences, our perspectives are our realities, then it makes having a conversation a whole lot easier. Stephen, you mentioned a couple of times, you use, well, you used the word a couple of times, respect uh, on these conversations. And, um, you know, I think you even demonstrate that in the short conversations we've had so far. Uh, can you talk a little bit about some of the difficult kinds of conversations I know that you've had just per, because of your job and being you and I living in the same area, basically. Yeah. What, how do you demonstrate that respect? How do you disagree even, or uh, get to that point where maybe you, you might be the only one in the being respectful in the conversation, but tell me how that works for you and what that looks like. Yeah, that's uh that's really great. And the first thing that the, the first instance of that comes to mind, um, you'll remember Lamar, it wasn't too long ago, we had a donut shop here in town. Um, unfortunately, uh, D'Angelo's and the donut shop are, are no more. But one of the very first kind of forums that I have, and by the way, I have nine forums a year, one in every single one of my communities. I want to be out there. I want to hear from people. I open myself up to their voices and to their criticism. And once in a while, even to their praise for doing things right. When I was first campaigning, um, I spoke to a number of folks and, and really had a great time, bought pizza for everybody. Um, but this individual in the back um, raised her hand talked about how she was a lesbian and how her rights are important too. And she came off initially in a very aggressive posture, right? Of realizing she's probably in the minority in that room and that she had to try to grab my attention. And so I dove into that a little bit more. Help me understand what you're feeling. Help me to know where your perspective comes from. And, and as she did, uh, I was able to, to at least have a little bit of understanding of her perspective because I can't, I can't understand what her day is like or, or her challenges exist. And as we worked through that, I ended that conversation with, I hear you, but unfortunately, we're just not going to agree on this particular issue, but let's keep talking because I want to continue to learn more. She came up to me after that was all over, shook my hand and said I was the first person that had ever um, approached that from a perspective of understanding and want to learn and not just shut her down on that principle alone. Now, I'm, I'm a principled individual. I'm, I'm very much a, a traditional value, believe in you know the traditional family unit and the importance of that. But I also... Uh, believe that we can all stand to learn from one another. So for her to come up, for us to end that, you know, again, agreeing to disagree, but for her to come up and make that special effort to let her know, to let me know that I actually, she felt respected in that conversation. Um, that's just one example, the first one that comes to mind. You know, and with, it's a great example and with people in, in your district, obviously, from all walks of life, like you talked about from the beginning, um, representing, you are a representative for us. Um, and if if I say, hey, uh, Steve, I got something I want to talk with you about, um, and, and I approach it in an aggressive manner, um, you say, you know, coming in with accusations or however I approach that. Tell me a little bit about uh, in a good conversation, how do you bring it to a civil level? You gave an example in that setting, which I think was really good. Help me understand, which is 
this is about me. Um, but but sometimes people um, takes a while for them to to get past you know kind of where they're at. Well, let me first tell you that if you come at somebody that's elected um, in an aggressive name calling, accusatory tone, they will do nothing more than dig their heels in even further. You will do absolutely nothing to persuade them to your position. Nothing. Um, I have had. I've had that happen a number of times. I try to, when somebody approaches me that way, I'm like, oh, hold on, let's take it back a notch. So one of my common sayings are, oh, hold on, take a deep breath, okay? I understand you're passionate, but if, if we can bring this down and have a civil conversation, let's do that. Because that I know that is what is, has the most likelihood of actually affecting change. I think that some people approach it that way because they get so frustrated with the system that they feel they're not heard. And maybe for many of those folks, they have tried the civil way and that's not getting the attention of the elected official or the person in charge. And so they somehow feel that's the approach to take. Long story short, I collaborated with her. Um, I couldn't make one meeting that was apparently very important and she sent this very scathing email. It was all accusatory, angry, ugly from somebody I never would have thought ever would send a message like that. And it just shut me down. It made me want to have zero further conversation. And so when it, when it comes at me, I try to help people understand my point of view to, to recognize that if this is the approach you're going to take, we're not going to get anywhere. But if you're willing to try again, if you will, or if you're willing to, to step back, let, I want to hear you. We may not agree in the end, but so many people just want to be heard. And that's what I strive to do is, is to hear people. But even in that scenario, you, that person became, you invited them to be part of the solution. Absolutely. And I think that that's that's something in a civil conversation. I, I, I was mentioning before the yesterday, uh, this is before we got together here, but that yesterday I had a conversation that uh, was going to be challenging for me. And part of how we resolved or how we came to the end of that conversation was, what can we now do together? Because we're, we both bring different points of view, but we're both after the same thing in the that's long right. run. How can we work together? And so joining with people sometimes is also a very positive way to go. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize, you know, in Topeka, there's 125 state representatives. Currently, there's 85 that are Republican and 40 that are Democrat. A lot of people don't realize that about 70 to 75 percent of the legislation we pass is nearly unanimously bipartisan. Okay. That doesn't make it on the news screen because that, that doesn't get clicks or whatever. Um, but there is so much bipartisan work done and so much search for that common ground. Because at the end of the day, we realize, I realize, as do most folks up there, we both want a better Kansas, right? We both want our state to be in a better place, to do more, to be more productive, all these things. We just differ many times on how we get there and, and, and what that looks like. But there is so much bipartisan work that goes on in Topeka that that the vast majority of people don't know because the media doesn't share that part of the message. Steve, it, it's, it's been widely observed. And it is an observation that Lamar and I have shared um, that our democracy today is somewhat fragile. And some would say it's very fragile and, in fact, maybe in danger. And I'm wondering what role do you think civil conversation plays in a democracy? especially under these conditions? It, it, is, it is imperative that it occur. There's, you know, look, you can go back to the late 1800s when there was an armed rebellion in the capital in Topeka, okay, where the populists and the Republicans uh, couldn't agree on, on who the, the leading organization was in the chamber, and they brought their rifles. So confrontation is, is not an uncommon thing in politics. But history has showed us that when we work together towards a common solution, that the outcomes are much better than one party pushing something that is, 
that is 100% only Republicans believe or only Democrats believe to be forced on everyone. Now, there, like I've mentioned, there are some core principled issues that we could go into that, that it's really hard to find much, if any, common ground on. But I, that is the exception to the rule. That is not the rule. What we see when we're watching the news, when we're you know reading the papers, um, I, I, I see it embellish the controversy because people, and I don't know something about our subconscious, I guess, they love the controversy. We gravitate to the controversy. We click on that link. I wrote an op-ed one time, got a call from the publisher, and the publisher said, well, it sounds like everything's going good. I can't publish this. And I said, why? Well, there's no controversy. It's it, Nobody will read it. And I'm like, how do we spread the message that, you know, when things are going right, we should celebrate that. When compromise is found, we should celebrate that. Uh, it's a disconnect in my mind. And so from my perspective, you know, you, you even go back to our founding fathers and the Constitution and the battle that that happened between so many of our founding fathers to ultimately draft what is our Constitution and our Bill of Rights. Um, but it was it was all ultimately founded on compromise and working hard and recognizing we're all trying to go the same direction. You know, you said something in, in your response there that I, I think is is really interesting. You're, you're talking about uh, where it's really difficult to find the ability to compromise and to collaborate is on core principles. And and that is that is absolutely true. I mean, uh, in in the world in which uh, I have worked uh, and studied and and part of my own my own uh, research has been around the concept of intractable conflict as it occurs. And, and what makes a conflict intractable many times is because people have very different core principles that they can't quite reconcile uh, and, and find a way through. And it, it, we, won't, we won't go there today because it's a huge conversation uh, about how do you actually move forward you know, when when there is such a significant difference in in those core principles between two people or groups of people. But but I, I, I appreciate your your insightful and, 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 and thoughtful response to that question. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pass to Lamar at this point. So there are times, um, Stephen, where I know that these difficult conversations that you've you've had mm -hmm. um, with people who disagree with you. Uh, and they're, they're uncomfortable, but they're really important conversations. And so if you can think back uh, on some of those conversations uh, and maintaining that civility um, in those challenging conversations, you talked about being able to join with them. You've talked about being able to show that you're interested in them. Mm -hmm. and, and, and even some responses are positive or negative. Mm -hmm. um, if you were coaching somebody, and, and I'm sure you have an opportunity to coach young, uh, young folks or people who are getting into the, the political arena. What are the things that you would coach someone in as they learn how to deal with some of the, the, the difficult conversations that are coming their way? In addition to what you've shared with us here, what's important on that plate? You know, I remember uh, another, uh, another instance where I was at a forum in Halstead just last year. And as I mentioned, I do uh, a number of forums very intentionally. And this was a forum where the Harvey County Democrat Party decided this is the one that the vast majority were going to show up to um, and really kind of press me on an issue. This was meant to be a one hour forum that I sat there for three and a half hours and listened and heard and repeated myself sometimes keeping myself very cool, very, you know, let me help you understand my perspective, even as they were just really trying to kind of um, box me into a bit of a corner, get me to agree to things that I didn't necessarily agree to because they represented the majority in the room at the time. Okay. So what did I do? I listened. I heard them. I gave them the time. It was very easy. I could have just said, yep, I'm done. I'm out. Bye. Because I recognize that 95% of the people in that room won't vote for me. 
Okay. And, and that's okay. Right. I, I realize it, if you have a hundred percent of the vote, you're lying to some people because you're never, it's, it's just not going to happen. Right. But I had a number of them reach out to me later and just say, thank you for taking that extra time to hear us, to let us voice our concerns and our frustration. So my advice as I'm coaching somebody is to listen with intent, hear what people are saying. I'll never forget the first time I met with one of my uh, legislators and I felt like I was talking right through them. They were looking at me, but I could tell they weren't hearing a word I was saying and they couldn't wait for me to get out of their office, right? Nobody likes when that happens to them, period, regardless. And so it would have been very easy to dismiss this group as, right, part of a group that will never vote for me, so why should I listen to them? But instead, I always choose, and I've even offered to come to the Harvey County Democrats meetings and, and share with them and put myself in that position because I represent every person. And while we may not agree on all the decisions I will make, I still have a responsibility, in my opinion, to hear them, to listen to them, and to give them the time that, that they ask for as well. So hear, listen, be intentional. Uh, I think that one of the things that I have appreciated about Kansas, I've been in Kansas since about 03, okay. uh, and it has been um, has been the sense of being uh, politics wise been uh, open to um, to listening to a lot of different sides. Mm -hmm. In fact, we have a history of of whether it's Republican or Democrats, different people leading this. Yes, yeah. uh, state, and which is kind of unusual given yes. you know kind of the population. But I what impresses me is what are people uh, in this state really passionate about? They're passionate about agriculture. They're passionate about education. They're passionate passionate about uh, the kinds of things that matter here. Uh, and those are the things that's really important to listen to, regardless of what your political affiliation is. Agreed. If you can't listen to the people, like you were talking about in the political realm. How do you make those decisions? Because you do represent the whole gamut. Now, that's unique to your role. Right. My role is very different uh, in a lot of ways it, when I'm in a conversation with someone, too. It's, but part of that is me finding it's important to understand and listen to those folks who are trying to share with me their uh, opinion. Why would I expect any less from them then mm -hmm. if I'm not listening? That's I totally agree with you. And that's that's, again, part of why I chose to run, because I I felt like, you know, as a legislator, we have an obligation to hear, to be involved, to be engaged, to spend that extra effort and extra time out there being part of the community so that the community knows they can come and communicate with us. Um, that's that's part of what's leading me to run for Senate next year is some of those exact same principles that I feel like with our current senator who's a wonderful woman, but she's been in office for 20 years, she's just not engaged. So for me, that is just such an important part of what I feel a legislator's responsibility is to do. You, you know, Stephen, one of the things that um, I heard you uh, speak about uh, earlier uh, in, in terms of your interactions with folks that I that I really appreciate and I think is a is a real strong point to kind of draw out as as part of that question that that Lamar uh, um, uh, asked you, and yeah. and that is that I noticed that that many times in your interactions as you describe them, rather than operating off of assumptions that you knew what the person was saying, you went back for clarification. Yes. And, you know, tell me more about that. Help me understand that. Um, and and uh, so I so while you're kind of, you know, offering those coaching ideas, I, I don't want to miss that one because I think that that is really, really, really good. Um, I want to expand on that question a little bit um, that Lamar um, uh, just asked you and and ask you to think kind of from this unique position that you hold in the in the world of politics. I mean, obviously. Uh, we are not politicians. We, I don't think Lamar's ever aspired to be a politician. I've never aspired to be a politician. Um, but you, so you have this kind of unique position that, that you're sitting in and, and you know better than 
any of us in this uh, podcast right now, just how polarized the climate is. Um, how can we encourage more people to have civil conversations in this environment? Uh, any, any suggestions that you want to pass on to Lamar and I for this? I think just the fact that you guys are taking the time to explore this means a lot. There's an organization out there, and maybe you've heard of this, but it's called One Small Step. One Small Step is an organization. Have you guys ever heard of that? I, I have, but I don't know much about it. One Small Step, it's really a cool program where they take people of differing political ideologies and they bring them together in a structured manner to have a conversation about what led them to believe and to be who they are. Okay. So, um, and, and this is actually archived in the National Archives. These digital recordings are safe forever. I mean, this is a really a big deal. But, but they're aspiring, I think, to do something similar to what you guys are aspiring to do. And that is help people get back to understanding where we come from and respecting what has led us to believe what we believe in. Okay. Um, I was paired with a self-proclaimed progressive liberal Democrat from Hutchinson who was a pastor. Um, and we ended up having a wonderful conversation uh, just under and, and coming to realize how much commonality actually exists with where we wanted to go. Right. So he was he ended up turns out he was very passionate about um, criminal justice reform, prison inmates, their children how that affects their children. Uh, I happen to be chairman of the Corrections Juvenile Justice Committee. I study those things all the time. And so there was so much commonality found when you break down the barrier of the topic at hand and you go back to the beginning and you start with, hey, this is who I am and hey, this is who I am. And you start just having some of those probing questions and you allow that conversation to go in a way that, that you know, you take it. So I got to learn from him what a, what what he defined a progressive liberal as was fascinating. Helped me understand myself better. So what can we do? We can continue to do what you're already doing. You're, it sounds like you're five podcasts in. You're just starting this, it's, which is fantastic. It's getting people to get back to the basics of who they are and respecting each other on a fundamental level and almost kind of rebuilding that back up to know again that we are really the summation of our life experiences and if we can if anybody in politics can get back to that and recognize that it's amazing what can be accomplished it really is well lamar i i think you had one last question we i did and it's really more about a questions that you might have for us you know we You've been gracious to come on the on the podcast, not really knowing who we are and how we might uh, how we might do this, and we very much appreciate it. But what are the kinds of questions you might have for us, or in general, that are on your mind that uh, you might want to share today? So, I guess my question for each of you is: What's driving you? Why is this an important topic for each of you to come together? And you're obviously putting a lot of time and effort into organizing this and to making this happen. Why? What's your why? Yeah, uh, let me let me take a crack at that. Um, you know, my my background um, for all my career has been working with people, uh, and so uh, my my uh, first degree is in Bible religion. My second is in uh, clinical psychology. Then I went on in that area, that field. Um, but what was what was really uh, kind of powerful for me or drove me a lot was how do you help people resolve issues and problems? Um, I came to Heston actually as an administrator for Heston College. I was there for about 11 years. So I worked in administration, particularly student development and athletics, um, and then took a jump for the last part of my career as a director of human resources at Excel Industries. And, you, and so you kind of know what we've been through there over time. Um, and so a lot of uh, what I worked with was trying to help people come to solutions. 
and, and address issues and being able to be successful. Nothing more exciting than to help people in some part of their journey be successful and move on. But I find that more and more, and maybe it's just because I'm becoming more attuned to it, I don't know, but more and more, it seems like there are, uh, there's a lack of ability to problem solve, uh, a lack of willingness to come to uh, a table, however you want to define that, to, to work at coming to uh, solutions that we can all agree to, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in academics even, um, and certainly in our communities. Um, and so it's been a, I, I've been in that field for a long time. I've really enjoyed it, but it's been kind of painful to see that that kind of uh, deteriorating where this whole lack of civility thing of, uh, you know, seeing people actually hurt each other in the process. Um, and in, in many, many times seeing people's lives destroyed uh, as being part of that process, um, their credibility, their families under attack, you know, their status in, in the roles that they, they have where their communities gets, gets uh, tarnished. And it's like, what, what kind of a cost do we have these days for trying to do the right thing and trying to be part of working through? And that's what led Tom and I think in, in some respects to say, we've had experience in our careers, we've worked hard at trying to help people bridge those kinds of uh, divides and come to solutions. Are there things that, that we can explore together and, and share with people and, and having invitations like we've had today to talk through these kinds of possibilities to make, make the world a little bit better place or to give people a better opportunity um, you know, f with some takeaways uh, to go back and work through? So it's a passion. I think for both of us, uh, at some levels, I don't want to speak for Tom, but we've walked a pretty parallel road in our lives. And uh, that, so that's what kind of drives me. I have the opportunity, uh, which I, I just didn't have time before, to be honest with you, in my other roles. But I have an opportunity now. I want to take it. And and so Lamar uh, mentions that we walk very, you know, parallel paths. And, and actually, we grew up just a few miles from each other in, in rural Iowa. And um, we got uh, acquainted in high school. Actually, uh, it was Lamar's older brother who introduced us. And uh, we became friends, and we've been friends uh, ever since that time. And, and uh, like Lamar, my uh, first educational experience, my degree was religion and English. And, uh, and I spent uh, a few years uh, in the ministry. Uh, and and then um, I transitioned into a different kind of career that was somewhat uh, controversial. Uh, I moved, uh, having, having seen the challenges that young people were really struggling with in terms of, of, um, of, of what they knew about their bodies, what they knew about their sexual health, I moved into the world of sexuality education. Now, that move in itself really created some challenges for my denomination. Uh, and then uh, what I began to experience is we, we, we created a program uh, in, in Iowa that we replicated nationally. And, and when that replication began to happen, uh, I came face to face with some very, very angry and irate people. And, uh, and uh, in, in fact, I would say the part of what kind of <laughs> propelled me into this today is a little bit of trauma. Uh, I was stalked, I was attacked, I was threatened, uh, I was uh, the subject of hate talk radio for several weeks sometimes, and it was a, a most unpleasant experience uh, for me, but it beyond that, it actually caused me to think about why is why can't we get our heads together on this? You know, if, if, our, if our intent is for the greater good of, of young people and their health and their sa safety, why can't we get our heads together on this? Now, I, I will tell you that I was not an innocent in this. You know, uh, there was at one point that I was on one side and then I and, and a, a very strong advocate on one side. And then I was on the other side as a very strong advocate. And and where I am now is that um, I, I am still. I'm still very progressive in my thinking, uh, and uh, and that would make a few folks uncomfortable. 
but what I really am concerned about is, is how come we cannot figure this out? Now, it's not just this issue, but it's, it's many, many other issues now as we're, as we're kind of seeing uh, culture wars reignited here in the country. And, uh, and in fact, when I went back and did my, my doctorate, uh, I did my research on intractable conflict. Try, really, it's kind of a way of trying to understand uh, how, do we, how do we deal with intractable conflict? How do people lead uh, uh, through conflict of that nature? So it's, it's something that really hit me hard. Uh, you know, when, it, uh, when I was in the midst of it and, and I am still puzzling over it because, because I, I, I didn't see that there was a whole lot productive that came out of that conflict. And I don't see a whole lot productive coming out of the culture war right now. I think it's really a matter that we need to, we need to figure out that third way. And that's, you know, hence the name of the podcast, you know, Lamar and I are here trying to figure out what's the third way that people come together to try to figure the, all of these things out in a way that is good for everybody. That's awesome. That's fascinating. Uh, and, and, and good for you being willing to, to try to explore something like that. You know, those are, some of those topics are very challenging and I, I would, I think I could almost do a podcast on you and just interview you because I'd love to understand that progression and everything you went through, but that'll be a conversation for another time. But thank you for helping me understand why this is important to you guys. And I, I appreciate you guys being willing to explore this topic with varying people from varying perspectives because it can only do good things, right? It, it can only, it can only help move us forward when we explore uh, how to have civil discourse and to do it the right way. Well, Steve, I hope that uh, if you're willing in the future, uh, depending on where this goes, that we may have an opportunity to speak again and explore explore similar topics. Absolutely. I'd love to. I've, I've enjoyed this tremendously. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it now it's that time, Stephen, that, that occurs in every one of these podcasts in <laughs> which uh, Lamar and I talk about news from the day that has made us smile. <laughs> and for some crazy reason, we keep getting on to these animal stories, but, uh, uh, and, and we invite you to do this as well. If, if something comes to mind while, while we're, we're going through our, um, stories that make us smile. So Lamar, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Absolutely. And maybe Tom is because we both have kind of a farm background. It might be, it might of, be. It's, it's, yeah. It tickles our feathers a little bit, but what a story out of Aurora, Colorado just caught my eye about this 400 pound pig called Fred. And Fred got on the loose from somewhere. They still don't know where Fred came from. Um, it's really possible that someone doesn't want to claim it because there's some fines possibly involved. But Fred was on the loose in Aurora, Colorado and people would wake up in the morning and Fred would have rooted up their yard, got to get into their, their, uh, their flower gardens. And now if you know anything about pigs, stopping a 400 pound pig from doing anything is really difficult to do. In fact, at one point, there's this picture of Fred with a, a rope around his neck, like someone lassoed him and tried to stop him. I would have loved to watch that because I know that's not going to be successful at all. But uh, eventually, and, and the story itself is full of a lot of, you know, hidden jokes uh, as we're going through describing the story about Fred the pig. But, um, you know, eventually they get Fred cornered in this huge parking lot. The question, and they were able to capture him and they took him to Humane Society. And I can tell you that any Humane Society is not set up to take care of a 400 pound pig, right? So he was in their facility for a long time and actually became endearing. Now, I grew up around pigs. I've yet to have had a pig that was endearing, but this particular pig had definitely developed a relationship with the folks in the uh, Humane Society, and they spent some time trying to find a place for the pig. Found a place in Eastern Colorado uh, with an FFA, Future Farmers of America, uh, kind of a sponsored uh, facility that would take care of Fred. They're not talking about Fred's future. I don't know what Fred's future is, but um, I just uh, thought I, I can see the whole scenario working out from the day that they see him in the yard, rooting up the yard, which 
that takes a 400-pound pig makes a huge difference in the yard to finally finding a nice place for Fred to live out a few more years, hopefully. That's Fred the pig. Live long and prosper, Fred. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So actually, that you know, I I had a pig named Clarence. Really? Yeah, I did. I did. I had a pig named Clarence, and it was a very sad day. You know, when he went to Oscar Mayer, my my parents tried to you know assure me it was okay, and and you know my bologna would taste a lot better since it was probably Clarence, right? So I didn't quite buy that, but you know, well, so so my the story I found uh, this week that made me smile is really about Bobby the world's oldest dog, according to the Guinness Book of Records. He died on October 21st, 2023 in Portugal. And so um, Bobby was 31 years and 165 days old, which is way over 200 years in human years, right? Uh, Now, the previous Guinness record was held by Spike the Chihuahua. Now, stop and think about that. Spike? Spike, what you name a Chihuahua Spike? Okay, never mind. Uh, who who died in 2022 at the age of 23 years and seven days? However, Bobby's age has now triggered an investigation into the oh, owner's man. claim that the uh, about this age. According to The Guardian, a British newspaper, a large number of veterinarians and and actually the newspaper said something like 18,000 veterinarians. <laughs> I'm not sure how they counted up 18,000, but the 18,000 veterinarians are saying it is impossible that Bobby was that old. And I just want to say, oh, come on. I mean, just let the dog be 31 years old. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just right. get, off, get off the dog's back. Okay. So, uh, so there you go, Stephen. Um, you have anything? Uh, I had a pig. I actually had two pigs. <laughs> we named them sausage and bacon. <laughs> and well, we don't have them anymore. Yeah. Yes. But we'll just say that they, they were good while they lasted. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, you understand. You yes. Understand. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that that is great. Love the names. Love yeah. the names. That's you gotta you gotta you gotta keep those things in perspective sometimes. You uh, art lesson for my girls and and my son to learn when they were younger. Yes, I I bet I bet. Well, it was a tough lesson for me. So, well, uh, Stephen, thank you so much. We really appreciate you being here today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you guys very much for the opportunity and uh, and let me know when you'd like to visit again. All right. That's a, that sounds great. All right. Take care, Stephen. Thank See you. See you later, Lamar. See you, Tom. Bye, guys. Lamar here. Thank you for listening to Getting to Third Space with Lamar and Tom. Remember to click on subscribe to be sure you get notices about new episodes. Getting to Third Space with Lamar and Tom is a production of Tenacious Change. Opinions and ideas expressed in this podcast are solely those of Lamar Roth and Tom Klaus. And we'd like to hear your opinions and ideas too. You can leave us a voice message on Spotify, or you can email us at the addresses found in the show notes. Also in the show notes, you can find links to some of the things we talk about today, so you can check them out yourself. Until next time, keep moving toward third space.